This week on the Sport Blokes. On this choke special, the Collie Wobbles are back at it again in a grand final meltdown for the ages, and an all time brain fade by an officiating crew allows for a massive premature celebration. <laughs> oh, it sure does. Finally, we get to AFL with these. Let's go. It's 5.17 on the 6th of August, 2022. We, I sometimes timestamp these now. I timestamp them for the recap episodes. I don't know. I sometimes think that people might listen and go, why the hell didn't they talk about that? But if I timestamp it, they'll know, oh, that's because that happened after, I don't know. What do you think? Anyway, still five, here we are. Still 5.17. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Looking at my big watch going, oh, come on, change. We're going to change. We're fresh off our last episode. It was more of a recappy one. Choke special five today. So following on from episode 72, 75, 102, and 106, here we are, great sporting chokes five. And hey, we've got an Aussie sport this time. And also a sport that happened, or an event that happened prior to our birth. Mm, a long way prior to yes. our birth, actually. A couple of corrections first, though. So I actually mentioned Jay Triano on Choke 3. I meant to say Jay Wright when I was talking about Villanova. So I know that's a long time ago now, but I re-listened to it and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Whoops. On Choke 4, we also talked about the seventh inning stretch and the ridiculousness of it. We didn't really talk about tea breaks in cricket which are kind of a direct analogy in some ways. Like, yeah, but the seventh inning stretch is just people getting into their seats and going, oh, it's been a long <laughs> evening at the ballpark. Like, <laughs> do it whenever you want. You don't need to bolt the play for that. And I remember in that first one in episode 72, I talked about academic journals and I did all this research and then I read it all and I'm like, uh, it's actually all kind of crap. So we probably won't use that again. No. So it was promised in that first one, but we haven't gone back there since. So today, as we mentioned, we go all the way back to 1970 and the VFL Grand Final. And for our younger viewers, that's what the AFL used to be back then. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, if you're wondering what the hell the VFL is, or if you're not from Victoria and know anyway, that's what it's about. So when you think of rivalries in the AFL, it is very, very hard to go past Carlton and Collingwood. You could very easily argue Collingwood and Essendon because of the Anzac rivalry, or the rivalry between our teams, Sydney and West Coast, going yeah. back to the 2000s. Great modern rivalry. But you cannot go past the Blues and the Pies. Yes, indeed. We have two very successful teams, kind of at different junctures when this happened. It was the era of 15-metre penalties. <laughs> they were terrible. Drop kicks, wobbly goalposts, and tiny point posts. Did you see how wobbly the goalpost was oh, yeah. in the first quarter? It's yeah. nuts. And it's it, the whole game's on YouTube. I've actually watched it, I think, three or four times now because we've had a couple of false starts with these. We often maybe bite off more than we can chew and then realise that we can't record at all. So I have watched it actually several times. One of my mates who I refer to every now and then, massive Collingwood fan, I referred to him in our last episode. I actually asked him if he'd ever seen it and how he feels about it because I think you have a different relationship with your team if there are events before you were born. Do you know what I mean? It's different for me because all my favourite sporting teams didn't win until after I was born. So I've seen them all, for the most part, the early Wildcats ones. He's not a bandwagoner, by the way. No, definitely not. No, no, that's right. They, Like I say, they started winning after I supported them. But anyway, he said, I've watched it shitloads of times, hey, and lamented everything about it. So that's interesting. Something that happened a good 15 years before his birth, 15 plus years, and he still has that lament that his team lost. Now, I will mention that Nathan didn't quote that directly. He did miss the ha-ha-ha-ha-ha at the end. Yes, well, this was on Teams. Yeah. Ah, of course. Yeah. By the way, with the Naughty and Nice episode, go back and listen to that if you haven't already, episode 111. Please. I talked about my Teams faux pas and how I accidentally wrote some stuff about players I hated in the NBA to the wrong person. Well, sure enough, when I was telling this mate about that story that I told, again, I wrote it in the wrong chat. <laughs> 
luckily oh well done luckily teams has a remove function so i removed it real quick so i don't know if anyone saw it before oh man did you say something like oh can't believe i sent that to all those dickheads in the <laughs> no enough, luckily it was nothing like that but it was kind of basically like oh you know how I told you that eventually we'd talk about this in an episode? I finally talked about it last week in our Christmas in July episode. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> anyway, so as Stewie mentioned, it's a very uniquely Aussie sport, and it's the first time that Aussie rules football has appeared in any of our choke specials. I'm going to defer straight to this quote because I couldn't put it any better than this from the National Film and Sound Archive, and I'll have a few quotes from this throughout the episode. The birth of modern football, the largest crowd in Australian sporting history, the mark of the century, the most imitated moment of Aussie rules commentary, the greatest halftime comeback in an AFL grand final, the most iconic footage in the sports black and white era. Pretty good comment there. It's, it's pretty good. I do have one thing I will say, though. It's I understand that they're going for the Jezelenko you beauty. It is a very, very well-quoted thing. I think it's the most quoted, though. The most quoted would be, Boys, kick the goal! Boys, kick the goal from the center square! Fuck! So, I'm not convinced that's true, but a uh, good good joke. I'm, BT. I'm convinced. <laughs> Absolutely convinced. So contextually, it was a new era of commercialization and sponsorship, new styles of play with more attacking handballs, and the tail end of black and white broadcasts. It's hard to fathom now, but 1970 was actually the first year there was ever a Sunday game. And that was when the Queen attended a round one match between the then Fitzroy Lions and Richmond. It was the first year of Waverley or VFL Park. A venue, some wondered if it was actually necessary, but hey, that game had a record crowd of 121,696. So Collingwood were the team to be all season, having won 18 of their 22, and one of the all-time great full forwards in Peter McKenna, who kicked 137 goals for the season heading into that game. Now, they had actually beaten Carlton by 10 points in the second semi, with McKenna booting nine in that one, and they'd also lost the other two home and away fixtures against Collingwood. So as you say, it was a strong rivalry and the two teams went toe-to-toe. Carlton had gone 16-6 and six on the season and they were coached by legendary Ron Barassi and, here's one, Steve Silvani. Well, not Steve Silvani, but Silvani Senior. Senior, yeah. Yeah, yeah Serge. So Sauce, the nickname. So from our youth, Sauce, Stephen Silvani, son of Serge. So Serge Silvani plays. And i got to say, he actually plays very well. Mm. He has a good game. Barassi credits Len Smith, the coach of Fitzroy in the 60s, for the handball tactic, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. A couple of other things contextually before we get into the match itself. So Dylan Leach's Australian Football Video Film Festival, Season 2, Episode 4, Sensational 70s Part 1. He was joined by Ashley Brown, senior writer for the footy record. Ashley said, The very early growing pains of a league that realised it could be bigger and a sport that realised it could be bigger than it actually was. Dylan asked Ashley if it was the most significant, if not greatest game of footy ever played, and he thinks it is for a number of reasons. So he talks about the size of the crowd, a number he says that's etched into people's brains the way that 99.94 is etched into cricket fans' brains, for example. The handball, 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 Ron Barassi thing, the comeback, Jez's mark, of course, and people have also merged the radio calls with a TV call, which is really cool. So I also quote, this game was the perfect platform for football to become the dominant sport. I think the VFL after this game had the quiet confidence from then on to have the change now to say we're the biggest sport in the country. And while we conclude the introduction, this is perhaps the craziest part of all, Stewie. It wasn't even broadcast live. So it wasn't until 1977 that the VFL allowed the grand final to be televised live against the gate in its home state. With the two rival commercial networks now broadcasting the game live, the other part that was interesting in this game is the talk about New South Wales. 
So the commentators talk about the game as if people from New South Wales have never seen it in their life, have no idea what the hell is going on. They really dumb it down for them. Like often commentators, you know how they dumb down the Super Bowl for casual fans or it's really interesting. Now he's got the football. That's that round thing. (laughs) But there were two rival commercial networks broadcasting the game live into the Harbour City in Sydney. And the age reported that some locals were actually opting to fly north to watch the game on telly as the $51 Qantas return flight to Sydney was cheaper than what some scalpers were asking for. And it, look, it is worth noting that $51 in the 70s is probably the equivalent of oh, yeah, a couple hundred. $63 billion yeah, yeah. Kind of, <laughs> with inflation. So I guess we'll get into the game itself now, and there's a fair bit to go through. So we'll sort of work our way through the quarters. Can I say, it was very entertaining, wasn't it? It was. Like, you could be forgiven for thinking, oh, that was bloody ages ago. That's not going to be good. They're not going to be skilled. There's a lot of good grabs. There's some really, like, there's a great little spin move in the first few minutes. It's a really entertaining game of footy. Bunch of plumbers. (laughs) (laughs) Plumbers and firemen. Oh, dear. So the first quarter, Collingwood, they were relentless. Absolutely all over Carlton, pretty much from the opening bounce. They flew out of the gates to lead by 29 at quarter time. And I'll tell you what, as bad as it was for Carlton, it should have been a lot worse. Oh, yeah. So Collingwood had four goals eight in the first quarter. They should have been probably another 15, 20 points further ahead. Oh, mate, Carlton barely got a touch in the first 10 minutes. Meanwhile, Collingwood started 1-5 with an out on the full as well. Mm. So, yeah, as bad as it probably looked on that scoreboard, Carlton fans would have actually been fairly happy, to be honest. Oh, definitely. They didn't get their first score of the game, which was a behind until about 20 minutes in with the Pies already up three goals, 6-24. And they finally kicked their first goal off a free kick about two minutes into the second quarter with the score showing 4-8-32 to 1-3-9. And look, it didn't get any better, essentially, for Carlton in that second quarter. Collingwood kicked six goals to four and took a 44-point lead in at halftime, 73-29. to The game... At that stage, looked to be all but over. It really did. A couple of interesting things in the commentary. So the great Teddy Whitten was commentating the game, which was cool. One of the things that was funny, they kept referring to the redheads. In black and white, we kind of have to take your word for it, Phyllis. Yeah, we're not sure. <laughs> there were a few other things that I noticed as well, though, early on, is just how many streamers there were. All oh, over, my goodness. All over the ground. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's amazing players kept their feet. Yep. Like, it's, or, it's or like the, a sea of streamers. It's like seaweed. Yeah, like the ball <laughs> didn't get lost in yeah. there somewhere. It's nuts. It was. A couple of other notes for me in the first quarter in a bit. There were two kicking and danger calls in the first 10 minutes or so. By the way, there are another two in the I, third. I'd say we've had that many since then. Yeah, well, they're, they're pretty rare these days, <laughs> aren't they? McKenna was paid marks for multiple ones he didn't hold very long at all, including three in the first half. So you can see why he kicked 137 goals if they're giving him marks. That's very interesting for something we'll talk about later in the game. Oh, intriguing. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of a a precursor to the fourth quarter. Serge Silvani played, as I mentioned, for Carlton. Robert Walls was also very, very good for Carlton. Yeah. And we probably had, I guess if you're someone who believes in omens, we had an omen fairly close to the end of the first half. Oh. And that was the Jezelenko mark. To the wing position on the member stand side. Oh, oh. Jezelenko, you beauty! Alex Jezelenko! Ah, yes. So it was about 20 minutes into the second quarter, and it is a screamer. And so, yeah, you're sort of getting in towards time on, and you sort of think to yourself, well, as we know it, that's kind of an omen for... They're gonna. They're about to come right over the top of you in this second half. Oh, like a metaphor. A, li- a little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jump on top. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like, it's like we talk about like a dunk or a half-court heave to end a quarter or a big screamer in the footy or a crazy goal in the footy. 
Those can be momentum turners, can't they? Or like a, I don't know, a 10th wicket partnership in the cricket. Yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> Things like that that you just think it would be so much better for my team or worse for your team or whatever it happens to be if that just hadn't happened. And yeah, I mean, that little bit of play, so close to the end of that first half. Gave them a bit of impetus and belief. Just them a little bit. Just enough. Now, we always hear commentators talking about this sort of thing. So you go into halftime, you're getting kind of spanked. And I'll give you that score. So Collingwood with 10 goals, 13-73. Carlton, 4 goals, 5-29. McKenna at that stage already had 5 goals. There you go. So 23 scoring shots to 9. It's, yep. it's a hiding. Yep. With some out on the fools that I mentioned too. True. Yep. And so then they, they start sort of saying, right, well, what are the coaches going to say? What, what can they do to G them up? And it's always the same thing. You'd rather lose by 100 than lose okay, by one. And try, yeah. Exactly, yeah, than yeah. lose by one. You know, take the game on. Yep. If you turn the ball over and it gets worse, well, so be it. But if you happen to get a couple of goals, well, momentum goes with you and Indeed. off you go. So I found an old article from the age, 28th of September, 1970, called Carlton's Miracle Win. And I'll get back to it. So the article focuses on the super sub rather than the handballs or play on, which is really interesting because the handballs and play on stuff is stuff that we'll look at now. And it, it has been talked about a lot. And we'll talk about the super sub too, of course. But I'll quote this from the article. At halftime, Barassi and the selectors had decided to wait five minutes into the third quarter before replacing any players because of poor form. Rover Bert Thornley, who had only won two kicks, was to be given five minutes to show form or he'd be taken off. But just before the team returned to the ground, Barassi changed his mind. Get ready, Ted. You're in, he roared at the 21-year-old Ted Hopkins, who had become a near-permanent reserve in the Carlton side. In three minutes of the third quarter, Hopkins kicked two goals and became an instant hero. Barassi delivered the tactical address of the day when he spoke to his players at the interval. From what I have heard, he instructed them to handball at all costs, and although this looked foolish at the time, it was the play which won Carlton the pennant. The Blues carried out their instructions to the letter, even as far as trying some silly things like handballing in the back line. Isn't that a, <laughs> isn't that a funny concept in today's day and age? Hey? It is, but when you think about it, there actually probably still isn't that much hand passing in the back line. A lot of it is short kicks because you'd rather have... Blokes a... keep it alive a lot more now, though, because well, they don't they do. want to be pinged for intentional rushing. So. Yeah, they, they do, but yeah. you're more likely to see them kicking it or chipping it around the back line than hand passing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is funny, though, hearing that referred to as being such a silly thing. Now, it wasn't just Teddy Hopkins, and we'll talk about the third quarter in a sec, but I've got to say... On that YouTube video, or one of the YouTube videos, because there's several of them, there's one that's been turned into colour as well that has some colour highlights, which is pretty cool. Got the Crayolas, eh? Yes. Very nice. (laughs) But there was an ad for Melbourne Bitter and an ad for Carlton Draft, which had the VB music. It was really screwing with my head, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So things have changed. Interesting. Very interesting. It is always fun, though, going back and looking at those old ads and what they were selling. Isn't that funny? When I was a kid, I used to, like meticulously hit the pause button when the ad break started and then hit it again when it finished. Just not even thinking that when I get older, that the ads in some ways are more interesting. Like I remember my little brother, I can't remember if I've talked about it on our podcast before, but I remember my little brother and I found an old video and we were almost more interested in the old ads than we were in whatever show or movie we were watching. I can't even remember what it was. Yeah, We have an old VHS of a a Disney Christmas thing and it was all these ads around you know, Chippendale's Christmas and all that sort of stuff. And there's a Hungry Jack's ad where the, the, it starts off with these wrestling guys and the guy comes in and he's like, one, two, three, are you hungry? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, is, is this not a professional wrestling match? Like, And they go off and they have their, their massive whoppers and of yeah, course. great, great fun. The script called for it. Anyway, back to the game, third quarter stuff. 
Yes, as you mentioned, Nate, probably the huge turning point in this game was actually bringing on Ted Hopkins, which is so crazy when you think about what we see nowadays with you know these medical subs. Medical sub, yeah, being misused. Yeah. Being misused <laughs> and, and quite often not getting on until much later in the game. Getting Hopkins in in the third quarter had that real instant offense to use a, a bit of vernacular from the NBA, I guess, or from basketball. And fresh bodies can help. They can. He had an immediate impact. He rode two marking contests, kicked goals in the third and fourth minute of the quarter. All of a sudden, that momentum starts. Sid Jackson snaps a goal from the pocket in the oh, seventh minute. West Aussie played really well. There are a couple of West Aussies that played really well, actually. Yeah. And and this is the thing. This is the time before we, yeah, we yeah, had teams. So yeah. all the good players... Well, we had the waffle, but yeah. a lot of good players did. They like Austin did. Robertson, for example, and his dad. Both went and played in the VFL. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so Brent Crosswell gets a free kick a minute later for a high tackle, kicks another one. Hopkins kicks his third in the 10th minute. And you're looking at it going, well, there's five goals straight away. And then Robert Walls marked it half forward, played on, kicked a magnificent goal from 50. Again, played very well. It's weird not seeing the 50 there, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. And then Alex Jezelenko completes the ridiculous start with their seventh goal in 11 minutes. That's right. Miraculously, Carlton kicks seven goals straight to Collingwood's one behind to start the third. And all of a sudden, it's a three-point game. Collingwood 10-15-74 to Carlton 11-5-71. It's, it's one of the most ridiculous onslaughts you'll probably ever see. Oh, it's a purple patch of every or seven. How's this, Stewie? There was even a deliberate out-of-bounds in the third. I didn't see that. So there's all these things that you think of are fairly new. or or I don't know. You have these kind of ideas and perceptions and then you go back and watch and you're like okay i was way off about that yeah wow 1970 yep that is nuts so carlton managed eight in the third with all said and done but collingwood did finish the quarter quite strong and heading into the final term it's actually collingwood 13 goals 16 94 to carlton 12 goals 577 and it should have been a little bit bigger than that because peter mckenna had a really easy running shot from 30 meters out that would have made it 22 points and with that margin sitting just under 20 points, just psychologically a little bit closer. Absolutely. And that extra one goal does make a lot of difference. Hmm. So while the first half was defined by Collingwood's dominance, but inaccuracy, the last 10 to 15 minutes are actually really entertaining. Hopkins kicked his fourth at the 21 minute mark after hitting the post from point blank range earlier in the quarter. Like a minute in as well. Yeah. yeah. And immediately now it's a one point game. What's really interesting about this fourth quarter is Carlton actually scored 32 consecutive points. So they took an 11-point lead eventually, not long after that that one-point lead. And to be able to go on that sort of sustained run, when you consider what they did in the third quarter as well, it's impressive. And I know we keep talking about sport being a game of runs, but it really is. It's about like minimizing the damage when you're not the team with the momentum, and it's about really sticking the boot in when you do have the momentum. So Croswell kicked the go-ahead goal with a few minutes left after copping a blatant high right in front of the ump. They had to call it. Now, for me, I think one of the, the very interesting points relating in this, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, was about two minutes left in the game. The Blues are up by five, well into time on. And Peter McKenna appeared to take a mark about 30 metres out directly in front. And when you consider some of the ones that were paid in the first half. Yes, half, yeah, the first quarter particularly, yeah, yep. The fact that they didn't pay this it's one. It's interesting, isn't it? He had a very big chunk of it. The arms were chopped. And instead of having a set shot from about 30 metres out, and he's a very good kick for goal. Well, so. he picked 137 that season, like I said, and one of the great goal kickers of all time. Yeah. yeah. So the likelihood of him putting that through and, you know, giving Collingwood the lead back. It's huge. And then all of a sudden, Carlton just slingshot at the complete other end of the field. Jezelenko threw it on the left boot from 50 out, miraculously bounces it through. And 
that provides that 11 point lead that I alluded to just a minute ago. Can I, can I hone in on the umpiring a little bit there? Yeah. So there was one umpire, umpire Jolly with huge letters written on the boundary scoreboard. I think he actually did a bloody good job. I think I had less problem with the umpiring in that game than I do in the modern game these days. It is very funny that you say that because I've lost count of how many times my dad has said the umpiring was better when they only had one. There's too many guys with too many different interpretations. And that's probably the interesting thing. If you've got one umpire, they're interpreting it realistically. They should be the same way throughout the whole game. And blokes are probably playing for free kicks more now these days too, which does make it difficult on the umpires. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like the good old days of the 70s where you wouldn't even get a free kick for getting punched Belton, in the face. Yeah. Like, it's insane. So, yeah, all of a sudden, that ball goes through from Jezelenko. It's, a, it's an 11-point game. The match is over. And they had that iconic... Here comes Jezelenko. Jezelenko, a left footer. There's nobody there. Look at this! It's bounced through. Probably one of the the more iconic calls from that era as well. And yeah, look, they had a slight, slight, slight chance Collingwood. Twiggy Dunn actually missed from 40 out straight in front in the last minute. Would have made it a five-point game again. And And they would have had the centre bounce. Anything can happen out of the middle. You never know. Yeah, yep. So yeah, Collingwood fell apart completely in the second half. Carlton scored probably one of the most memorable comeback wins you could imagine. It's still actually hard to believe to this day that it happened. Now, you've got some interesting stats from this. So it was Carlton's 10th flag. Some interesting stats, as you mentioned. Biggest comeback at quarter time, 29 points. Biggest comeback at halftime, 44 points, which, of course, is also the biggest comeback of all time. And that's in grand finals. In grand finals, sorry, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's interesting to kind of think about the handballs and the other stats and that sort of stuff. So the 1970 VFL-GF retro rewind, the AFL's done some stats. They played on five times in the first half and 13 times in the third quarter. Carlton took nine contested marks in the first half and 24 in the second. Wow. So Carlton's performance really did improve. The stats bear that out. So from that Carlton's miracle win from the age that I referred to before that article. So it had the it had all the stats there too, which was cool to kind of look through. So Carlton actually won the handball count 56 to 35. Collingwood won the kick count 225 to 214, just for those interested. To put it in perspective, I actually had a look at the handball figures from last season in 2021. So Carlton actually averaged the most per game with 145. And even the team with the lowest is miles ahead of Carlton's 1970s effort. Gold Coast had 105 a game. So that shows you how much the game has changed in the last 35 odd years. When you said those numbers, I was like, that is so far below what happens today. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So a lot of stuff to talk about in the game and there is a lot of legacy. Big time, yeah. And it's really tricky to rate with this one because there's so much of it. We both know it's easy to go years between grand finals. And when you get there, there's no guarantee you're going to win it. So before your Swans won in 2005 with the famous Leo Barry mark, they actually lost to North Melbourne in 1996. Yes, ran into that very, very good team. But before that, their last grand final was a South Melbourne in 1945. Yep, yep. Just a few years before we were born. Yeah, when I picked them, they were a pretty crap team. Yeah, and (laughs) to make it even worse, their last premiership was 1933, which they followed up with three straight grand final losses. Which is funnily enough, one of those things that used to be a number etched into my brain. But as soon as we won in 05, I completely forgot about some of those stats. That's it. Yeah. But then you turn it around and the Swans had five grand final appearances between 05 and 2016. And now they're one of the kind of 
glamour teams of the competition and revered for the way they have a good organisation. Yeah. Uh, look, as an Eagles fan, I've been lucky. West Coast made seven grand finals between 1991 and 2018. Another very revered club, albeit with drug problems. No, oh, but you had to. <laughs> I left actually Sampy out of it. <laughs> I know, I know. I left, but you did mention him in the last episode. You mentioned him in the last. <laughs> I left him out intentionally. And you just you hung me up to dry. Before we get into the choke stuff as well, Stewie, the interesting thing about the legacies. Now, I'll be honest, I can't remember where this has come from. Definitely one of the sources I've quoted so far. But on the legacy, it said, in subsequent years, Alex Jezelenko's iconic leap, coupled with Mike Golden Voice Williamson's excitable commentary, Jezelenko, you beauty, has tended to overshadow Carlton's remarkable second half comeback. Hmm. I think that's true, isn't it? Absolutely. Because when we were kids, like, that's what I know about. I knew about the Jezelenko, you beauty. I didn't really, it doesn't strongly stick in my mind as as a massive comeback game when I was a kid growing up. And you know what's even funnier, though, is that when we were growing up playing footy, we never did that. We were, we were never quoting in the schoolyard Jezelenko. It was always Kappa. Kappa. <laughs> yeah. We always wore it Kappa. Although apparently in Adelaide it was Mudra. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes yep. sense. So I guess looking for Collingwood, you know, I mentioned previously about how lucky our teams have been in recent times. Looking at Collingwood, they actually wouldn't make another grand final for seven years. They lost in a replay after drawing with North Melbourne. Yes. So this is said to be the beginning of the Collie Wobbles, which we'll talk about in a future Curse episode. Exactly. Yeah. They then lost three straight grand finals in 79, 80 and 81 to Carlton, Richmond and Carlton, respectively. They further enhanced that unfortunate nickname of the Collie Wobbles, which was a name given to them by Lou Richards. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very famous commentator and, and broadcaster. Yeah. And the nickname itself was largely because of just how many different ways Collingwood found to lose. And it was it was almost comical how many different ways they, they just found, especially, you know, something like this where it seems almost unlosable and they would lose by small margins. You know, the draw of the Kangaroos I just mentioned, the five-point loss to Carlton in 79, even this one, it was do, only 11 points. Do you know what's funny? At time of recording, Collingwood are on an 11-game winning streak where they've barely won by more than a goal in most of those games. Yeah, it's so interesting, that. isn't it? Yeah, is, yes, it's interesting. And sorry, just going back to the Lou Richards thing too. It's interesting that he coined the term because he was a former player and star of the team. Yeah, an icon. God, could you imagine like Andrew Vlahov or Ricky Grace giving the, <laughs> giving the Wildcats that was like that would just be insane. Uh. So continuing the legacy, and again, there's a lot of it. Collingwood finally gets back to the grand final in 1990. So they won their first flag in 32 years, which is by some other team standards. You look at St Kilda, you look at the Western Bulldogs before they won. Melbourne. Melbourne before they won. It's long enough though, isn't it? It is long enough. It it is. Yeah. But then they lost back-to-back grand finals against the Brisbane Lions juggernaut in 2002 and 2003. One of those years where they won that first 1v4 matchup and people are thinking, oh, could Brisbane finally get unseated? But no, not in the granny. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And so, again, you're, you're at that point now where you have to go all the way to 2010. They've basically won one flag going all the way back to, to those early years. And coming full circle with the draw games, they were on the right side of a draw and replay grand final as opposed to 72 with North. And they were very lucky in that game still. Yeah, like, oh, that tackle, that... Oh. Well, it's well for me, it's the bounce, the Stephen Milne bounce. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah, that, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The ball's... Yeah. All it needs to do is just moderately sit up on its end. Yeah, but it's a great tackle from Heath Shaw too on Nick Rewalt. In the oh, in the, re- in the yeah, replay, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that the replay? Oh, the replay. memory fails. There yeah, you that go. That's the replay. Ah, oh, there you go. Okay. Like yeah, a little prairie and you never heard him coming. 
the famous Dennis Camilli <laughs> with the, the great call. Good but yeah, that, that bounce on Stephen Milne where we're just looking at it going, all it has to do is sit up slightly. Milne waltzes into an open goal. The game is over. Yep, and he knew his way around those goal sticks too. He did. Yeah. I mean, all it had to do was bounce through for a point and that was it. Yeah, true. But instead it bounces at right angles, goes out of bounds. And it's a cruel game sometimes, that oblong ball. It was, but one of the guys that was at a grand final party that year actually put money on the draw. Do you remember? Yes, I do remember. Not only that, my brother used to put money on the draw every single year, and that was the first year he didn't put money on a draw yep. in a long time. And there you go. And he never put fortune on, but like... Five bucks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. Well, it's so rare. And so then after the 2010 replay where they've won it, they had another couple of losses. They lose to Geelong in 2011. They lose to West Coast in 2018. A game they should have won, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. Should have. I mean, that might be a future choke too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked about a number of times. One more goal in that first quarter. The floodgates probably open up and we have a repeat of where Hawthorne destroyed us. And again, the momentum stuff. It's huge. You've got to maximize it. It is. Interestingly, though, 1958 was actually the last time Collingwood won a premiership in September. Oh, because 1990 and 2010 were both won in October because, because of, of replay. Because of the draws. Yeah, of course. Huh. And, and even though they've got 15 premierships, their 27 grand final losses is the same or more than any other two clubs combined. Wow. So they've, wow. they've lost a lot. Yeah, the wobbles. That's it. On the flip side for Carlton, their purple patch that they were already in, I mean, they were in, I think it was their fifth grand final in six years. That purple patch continued. Another win in 1972. They won 79, 81, 82, 87, 95. Really, really good patch of success there. Look, they haven't been back since 1999 and they haven't looked close in a long time. Oh, that 99 prelim against Essendon was magnificent. I I did like those mid to late 90s Carlton teams. That was a great side. Yeah, yeah. But they still have one more win than their greatest rival, 16 wins to 15. There you go. So they've kind of got that. But yeah, as we said, like teams go through droughts. You know, the, the Swans 72-year drought we spoke about. The Bulldogs had a 62-year drought they broke in 2016. Sorry to bring that up, Nath. Oh, yeah, well, it happens. Melbourne, 57-year drought before they beat the Bulldogs. St Kilda, 68-year drought that's still going and doesn't look likely to finish <laughs> anytime soon. And there's a lot of famous ones in Major League Baseball too, of course. We talked about the uh, Stephen Bartman situation yes. in our last choke special. Yep. So the uh, the Chicago Cubs yeah. had a, what was 108 years, I think it was. It was a long time. It yeah. was. More than 100 years, yeah. Now, the biggest legacy part, you've kind of mentioned it already, is kind of how this game really changed the tactics the vfl and the afl forever yeah the one-on-one kick and mark game as it was kind of more and more gave way to this i guess first iteration of the free-flowing play Play on football as we know it today it's largely considered as you said to be the birth of modern football this is when teams started taking risks they adopted that better to lose by 100 than than 40 mentality and yeah there have been bigger margins overcome in the game we obviously said in the grand final that's the biggest but I mean, we had North Melbourne led Essendon by 69 points 10 minutes into the second term of a game in wow. 2001. Yeah. And they won it. Yeah. So, like, 11 comebacks of 51 points or more. So, like, it's it's a big one. But I guess when you consider that it's a grand final, it means so much more. So yes. Yep. What sort of choke level do we give this one? I think let's first go to the article I quoted before. Let's go to the people that were there on the day. So, Carlton's Miracle win that article from The Age. The author said... I cannot find any excuses for Collingwood. Never have I seen a premiership tossed away so blatantly. There was just not enough heart in Collingwood's side. The players left a smear on the proud Collingwood tradition of fighting to the last gasp. 
Maybe a little bit harsh. It, it is, was a good yeah. game, and and Carlton really came home with a, a wet sail. I, 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 to me, the reason it's a choke is the inaccuracy. And like what you were saying before, they could have put them away in the first quarter. Yep. And that's what they did. That's how they choked. And look, okay, yes, there was a big wobbly goalpost. There was breeze, but a lot. There were some shots that were pretty close. There were some out on the falls. They definitely should have kicked at least two, but probably more than two goals more in the first quarter. And this is it. If four goals eight becomes seven goals five, yep. all of a sudden you're sort of talking a, a much bigger margin. Yeah, it's a much bigger hill to climb. That'd be 47 points. So yeah, you're probably talking a seven goal difference. That's It's a long way back. Yep, definitely. So what score are you going to give it, Nath? Oh, it's tough for me because... I don't know the era as much. And in spite of all our research, I still feel like I have gaps here. Maybe seven. Mm. I'm finding this one really hard to grade, actually. Okay. Yeah. I've gone much higher. Yeah. Actually, it wouldn't have surprised me. I've given it a nine. Yeah. And the reason for that, the Pies end up with a 32-year premiership drought. They lose to their biggest rival. They did it in a really disappointingly painful way. There's no redemption story. There's no silver lining the way there was with the Spurs against yeah, Miami. Yeah, yeah, yep. The team they lost to won multiple premierships in the seventies and eighties. Like it's it's tough. It's it's a really really tough choke, and I, I just can't give it less than a nine. No, it probably is higher than what. Yeah, it probably is an eight or a nine. So yeah, it, look, it's brutal, but you know what? That's that's, that's sport that's sometimes. Sport. Yeah, that is sport. Now I've got a random little fact to finish this one out. Oh goody! Okay, I've got a little one to finish too. Did you know the VFL actually ran a consolation night series? where they basically had it under floodlights at Lake Oval in South Melbourne for the teams that finished 5th to 12th on the ladder, pretty much out of the finals. Yeah. And the Western Bulldogs, then Footscray, beat Melbourne 13 goals 17.95 to 13 goals 15.93 wow. to win the Consolation Night Series. Wow. Maybe the NBL should have done that instead of the playing tournament. Um, have them play at some random stadium <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I, I do vaguely remember hearing about that, but I didn't know those scores. That's fantastic. This is an amazing way to finish too, Stewie. So Teddy Hopkins, we talked about his impressive effort in the game. He was instrumental in helping them win. But he's been instrumental in so many ways. Now, crazily, he only ever played one more game of footy after that. But Ashley Brown from the Australian Video Football Film Festival said that he's the godfather of the stats revolution. You may have heard of champion data and champion stats. I have. Ted Hopkins founded them. Yeah, right. So that's how he gave back to the game afterwards. And it's it's huge. And it's interesting that this guy, the way he changed the game with his play and the stats that kind of flow on from that, he also became a big statistician in AFL. So it's it's a really important part of the VFL AFL legacy as a game. He's my new favorite guy. <laughs> so Stewie, we go from one that happened before our lifetimes to one that's happened very, very recently indeed. The 2022 Mason Cup final, Minnesota State University versus Bemidji State University. I hope I said that right. Yeah, the powerhouse of Bemidji. <laughs> Never heard of them before this. Look, they are very much a hockey school. They're not a, a basketball or a football school. Which so. would explain why I don't, yeah. So we've looked at quite a few chokes in this series, and I honestly don't think I've seen a bigger administrative fuck up than this one. We've looked at players choking. We've looked at entire teams choking. Even fans. Fans, a coach kind of choking, if we give Greg Popovich the <laughs> anti-benefit of the doubt, which I, I will. But this is a new one, and it involves the umpiring in this 2022 Mason Cup ice hockey final. And this was about getting into the NCAA tournament. So yes, the, yeah. It had pretty big repercussions. Do you know what I love about the ice hockey? Do you know, so it's called the Final Four in the basketball. It's called the, the Frozen, Frozen Four. Yeah. yeah, how classic is that? It's good. I like that. 
So this is the final series between teams in the CCHA or the Central Collegiate Hockey Association. And on top of being a championship, which it's worth noting, had actually not been a thing for the previous nine years. Oh, not just COVID. Not just COVID, no. Yeah. This was something they completely removed the, the championship. It had been vacated oh. and then they brought it back. Interesting. As I said, this is to go to the big dance. Yes, huge. So it's so important. The stakes are huge. Now, Minnesota State, they were the better team across the season. 23-3 and record. Bemidji State, 14-12. and So this is almost like the equivalent of... Yeah, David and Goliath. Like a 1-16, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. But as you always say, Nath... There's a reason they play the games. There's a reason they play the games. So after a goalless first period, Alex Adams actually scored for Bemidji State to take a 1-0 lead. Now, in the closing seconds of the second period, Brendan Furry scored for Minnesota State, levels it at one apiece. And the game kind of went into a bit of a stalemate. It went scoreless throughout the entire third period, and it sent the teams to overtime to decide it, which in ice hockey is... Not unusual. It's not unusual, yeah. and it's sudden death. Yes. Oh, yes. kind of makes it a little bit yes. more exciting. Yes. Everything kind of seemed like it was going to script, though. Josh Grohl scored on a really nice wraparound goal three minutes into overtime. Everyone goes wild. The Mavericks are off to the tournament. The team shake hands. The players of the game are awarded. The number one player goes to Grohl, who scored the game winner. Makes sense. The Mavericks lift the trophy. Everyone kisses it. They don't break it like the, <laughs> like the Avalanche did. Uh, yes. They skate around with it. They take photos with it. All the normal stuff that happens yeah. after you win. The coach is interviewed about his thoughts on winning the tournament. This is like 20, 30 minutes after the game. It's all official as the coverage goes to the final commercial, right? Wrong. Wrong. This is insane. The commentator, and keep in mind, this is now like an hour after the final goal has been paid, announces that the goal is still under review. What the How? fuck? Yeah. What? Seriously. How is anything allowed to happen if it's yeah. still under review? I don't yeah. understand. And how does it take a whole hour to review something? And this is a very good question. Did they sit on their hands for like 45 minutes? I think they did. Yeah, they must have. Because they flash to a replay of the goal in inverted commas, and from directly above the net, the puck clearly goes under the side of the net. We're not even talking you know, millimeters here and there. We're talking it's a good Clear. it's a good few inches to the side. It took me one view of that to go, well, that's not a goal. Oh, it's blatant. Yeah, it's blatant. So how it took an hour, I've got no idea. Someone's asleep at the wheel here. Someone has choked. Pretty much. Someone has choked. Good. <laughs> good. I like that. Now, the teams are already in the locker room, and let's not be naive. They were probably drinking. Uh, college. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I think. Like, they were, well, we just sound like a plane then. We did. Yeah. yeah, we need a new job. Plane. <laughs> Provide the sound effects for a plane. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. Folly stage. So, uh, look, I'm going to, I'm just going to say it. There are a few babies in. There's no way these guys haven't had a couple of beers. Almost though. certainly. And then all of a sudden it's announced that the goal has been overturned and they have to return to the ice to restart the overtime from the time that the goal was supposedly sort of scored in yeah. inverted commas. Yeah. Now, thankfully, after another couple of minutes of overtime, Jack McNeely scored legitimately for Minnesota State to officially end at 2-1. Jeez, that was lucky, wasn't it? But how it took over an hour. And as you say, very lucky that it sort of ended up the same way. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if Bemidji had scored, it would have been legitimate still because it, it would have been the right outcome. It would have been the right outcome. Yeah, yeah. But how they couldn't confirm that when a single glance was enough to see and they let all of this stuff go ahead. I mean, yeah, it turned out that the better team won. But if they'd gone through all of that and the Beavers reversed the result and made the NCAA tournament, how much harder that would have been for those Minnesota State players to accept oh, yeah. and to deal with. And did you see some of the comments on the article? 
So there were comments underneath some of the articles that I did research on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were like, it's a phrase I use all the time. Where do you draw the line? If it's been that long, you kind of have to let it stand potentially. Like mm. what, what happens if someone sees some footage from the first period where something went wrong, where a goal was allowed when it shouldn't have been yeah. for it? Like where do you draw the line? And this goes back to that conversation we had about Max Struess and the three-pointer that was disallowed. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In those yep. conference On the sideline, yeah. It, yep. it is difficult. I think the right decision has been made in this instance, obviously, but... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Minnesota State actually made it all the way to the final of the tournament. They knocked off Harvard in the first round. They knocked off Notre Dame in the quarterfinals. Mm. They pumped the other team from Minnesota, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, 5-1 in the semifinal. There would be no happy ending at the end. Unfortunately, they did lose 5-1 themselves to the Denver Pioneers in the final. But, you know, a, a really golden run that could easily have gone the other way. Yep, yep. So, look, it's a monumental fuck-up, but I don't think the legacy is anywhere near as bad as... Any of the other chokes that we've spoken about? Well, it's hard to judge as well, of course, because it's very recent. And we purposely chose this one at the end of the AFL one because we knew this would be a bit quicker. Definitely a choke, though. My God. 10 out of 10. It's like the administrators in the Sally Robbins one, going back to our first choke special on episode 72, I reckon. Interesting. You don't think? No, I've actually got this as like a one or a two. Really? And, and, I, and the Oh, re- because they still won the game. Yeah. Yeah, but like forget forget the result, though. The fact that it was so blatant and you could see from one viewing, like you said, it's not yeah. its not like when, like, oh, did that bloke, you know, fingernail her behind over the line or whatever it might be. Like, was... And came closer. <laughs> you know, oh, is, is a tiny bit of his toe on the line, so it's a two, not a three, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, or like an offside in soccer, whatever you want to talk about. It was clear. It was clear and blatant. And that, for me, that reason is it, kind of a 10 out of 10 choke. And this is why I love it, because you and I have different perspective so i look at it and i say the same team won the game there's no repercussions for the officials it just it's a well that's lucky though is that does that diminish a choke or is that just dumb luck it's a bit of dumb luck yeah but but yeah i I guess at the end of the day it's like nothing happened because they still got through and they had the record books will still look the same yeah and and minnesota still made it to the final they still had a good run I, i see where you're coming from though in terms of the actual choke itself by the administration yeah it's a it's a big number yep in terms of the overall, the legacy that we know so far. If you look at it in light of the legacy, then it, it's then different. It's probably like, and, and this yeah. is maybe where we're getting a different number. So, yeah, I think you're right. Well, I mean, there's no exact science with grading these jokes either. <laughs> it's fucking numbers out <laughs> Yeah, there. pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> so, no, look, I, I can get behind the actual administrative fuck-up being a 9 or a 10. With the legacy, it's probably a little bit lower. Well, anyway. Luckily, there was natural justice, yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, what a, what a crazy story. I would highly recommend people go and have a look for this one on YouTube if you haven't seen it. It is... And find the comments because the comments are often some of the most interesting stuff. Yeah. The, the debate that rages after these things is really fascinating. It's a real wacky story, this one. Sure is. All right, Shu, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, it's always great to go back and see some of these chokes from the earlier years before our time. And look, Carlton Collingwood, an amazing rivalry and what a choke. And an amazing game too. So so what this teaches me is go back and watch that old footage. If there's stuff there and there is a wealth of stuff on YouTube and, and unfortunately the NBA's cracked down on it, for example, but there's so much good old stuff on YouTube. Check it out. It's great to watch. And the, the skill and talent is better than you think. Absolutely. The next one we will do will involve a Yankee Doodle Dandy. That's all you're getting. (laughs) I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.